It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, that wasn't ideal. Hardly a breath had been taken after the conclusion of the 2019-20 season when Manchester United returned to action on Saturday for the 2020-21 campaign. And it was clear for all to see United were a team without a proper pre-season who looked knackered at the end of last term and we deserve to lose against Crystal Palace who played well. There are plenty of issues to discuss, some grounding to be done, some reminders, some criticism, some praise. It's only the second episode of Series 6 of the Manchester United Wiki Podcast and we've got loads to talk about already. Thank you for joining us. I'm Harry Robinson and Jack Tate is with me as always. Um, halfway through the show, you'll get your regular youth loan and women's roundup and then we'll preview United's next two fixtures at the end at Luton and Brighton. Um, just before we start... I want to say thank you to our, our new patrons. If you want to sign up to become a patron, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Man UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. Or just find us on Twitter and, and we'll have a link there. But thank you to Dave Shevlin, Michael Lissy, Billy Jenkins, Reed Blazer, Michael Byatt, Craig Patterson, Avik Sinner, Simon, Lars Petter, Iliasson, Modernaya and Ted Popham, who have all signed up over the last couple of weeks. Um, thank you very much for your support. But let's get on with the show. Jack, we could start by digging into some criticism on Victor Lindelof, who has uh, drawn plenty of it on social media over the last uh, few days. We're recording this on Monday afternoon, a very sunny one in England, um, or certainly in in the most part. Um, and I, I think the the mood may have calmed down very slightly. Uh, we could dig into some Lindelof criticism. We could dig into some Solskjaer criticism, Woodward as well. Or we could take a, a second to reflect on the many, many factors that have made everyone at United's life much harder at the start of the season. Um, is, is that being too kind to everyone involved, Jack? I think yes and no. It is a little too kind in that I don't want to gloss over how just terrible that performance was yeah um because i think regardless of you know regardless of the extenuating circumstances of which there were a lot i don't think it's ever acceptable for a team who are as big and supposed to be as good as manchester united to put out a performance like that but yeah you're right and that there is a lot of sort of perspective to be had here and that there are a lot of mitigating factors that contributed to this for sure you know not having a real pre-season the fact that you know, a few weeks ago when United started their sort of pre-season training routine at Carrington, there were, I believe, four first-team players there because everyone was either on holiday or with, on their international break or in isolation because of COVID-19 tests, whatever it was. You know, we, ha- we have had a very 
not only short, but also disrupted and not good sort of preparation for the season. And then you go back again to the fact that we're putting out exactly the same team that we ended last season with, going back to, you know, the criticism of Ed Woodward and our lack of signings. There, there's a lot of blame to be passed around and, and there are certainly a ton of factors that have contributed to this. But I do think at no point is it ever acceptable for a Man United team to put out a performance like that because it, it was just unacceptable. Yeah, I think that that's basically it, isn't it? That we can, we can uh, I think, rightfully be angry, annoyed, uh, hurt by by that performance while kind of accepting that there are lots of, of I think you said, extenuating circumstances which, which sum it up. Um, and I think, I think it is worth talking about because obviously, so United finish our season with uh, a gutting defeat to Sevilla in the Europa League. What was that? Kind of August 18th, 19th, roughly, I think, maybe a couple of days before. Um, and within a month of back playing our first Premier League game of the season. Now, this is a, a an extraordinary year and one which is really hard to kind of get around. But United have, are one of a few clubs who have had to delay the start of their season in order to um, get a proper rest. Now, we, we it's not like we did get a proper rest anyway, um, but it, it does kind of, it's obviously there for the club's benefit, but it makes things a lot harder in other ways in that Palace had before the game they, they, they'd they played six games this season four friendlies and, and two competitive games and United had played one uh, behind closed doors friendly against Aston Villa and that I think that was pretty obvious to see from, from the start of the game now United should have gone out there with lots of energy and, and kind of got themselves into the new season and they didn't and that's the fault of the, the managers and the players but there are the, these these things and we can't kind of gloss over how bad of a performance it was and we'll talk more specifically about the defence and then the attack in just a second but um, it is it's crazy that United can start their season kind of already behind yeah um, we could we could get to the end of October and kind of be out of whatever race we're aiming to be in uh, and, and, and and catching up because of the way that the season has happened now when especially with how the, other the hand, standard has been at, at the top of the league the last couple of years as well you know this, this maybe is more relevant for City than United just based on sort of what we're both aiming for this season but you you draw two or three games at the start yeah, of the season yeah. you you could be effectively out of the title race already yeah certainly yeah, yeah. if I was a City fan and we're, we're recording this just before they play their first game of the season um, against Wolves. But uh, I mean, I guess, I guess it's Wolves are a, a game where they may not expect all three points anyway. Um, we'll certainly be aiming for them, but may not expect them and certainly haven't over the last couple of years. Uh, so maybe it's slightly different, but yeah, definitely. Um, and the other problem as well is t- that the, sorry to, to interrupt again. The, the other problem as well is that we didn't really have much opportunity for friendlies because when we would have wanted them would have been the last couple of weeks, but most teams had already started their season by then. Yeah. The only yeah, reason yeah. we were able to play Aston Villa last weekend was because they were supposed to play City on the first weekend. Yeah. And so were available for a game. The, 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 you didn't even have much chance for preparation because by the time we got all of our squad back, we're looking at the week before the season. And then the, the obviously last weekend, when which would have been a good time for a friendly, the only team we could really play was Aston Villa because yeah. they also weren't playing. What? So it, it just, it just, I mean, and, and I, I have sympathy for the, the organisers. This is such a tough situation, but it, it just feels like we've we've been left left in a lurch basically, and, and just in a situation where we're almost doomed to fail. Well, so it's, it's that frustrating thing of we've come off the back of a sixty-one game season where 
our players for the majority of the last two months looked knackered. And the one thing yeah. you kind of hope for from a preseason is it's a chance to rest, a chance to come back and then look like the team that you should be. And I don't think any of us kind of expected that from United because it, it's kind of plainly obvious because the fact the Nations League still happened, the international still happened, because of the fact that the League Cup is still happening, uh, because of the fact that the league has started so quickly. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's almost like we're never going to see a fully fit Manchester United team this season. Um, and the number of players that are going to be injured is, is, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, if we get through the season without a record number of injuries, this is for the, the football as a whole, not just United, then I'll be surprised. Um, and uh, Well, yeah, and you've seen just in, at least to give a comparison to another sport, in the NFL this weekend, also had no pre-season after normally having four games. And the first week injury-wise wasn't too bad, but yesterday in the second week, there was a spate of high-profile injuries. So we'll see if the Premier League follows yeah, that's interesting. any sort of similar pattern. Yeah, that's interesting. There was a good quote from a um, a piece by Jonathan Liu at the weekend who said, I doubt a team has ever entered a Premier League season as unprepared. I think that was from Jonathan Liu. I might, might be misquoting that, but certainly something I read, someone said, I don't want to take this quote as my own. Um, but yeah, I doubt a team has ever entered a Premier League season as unprepared. And most of that isn't Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's fault. Um, which is true. We'll move on to the, the lack of signings um, more at the end. Um, let's let's go to another quote, one by Gary Neville, um, who said, United are not going to win the league with that centre-back pairing. They have to get a mobile, quick, dominant centre-back in alongside Lindelof and Maguire. Now, there were a lot of things wrong with United's performance against Palace. Um, a 3-1 defeat was, was it kind I think it was probably a fair result and that, that says a lot about the game um, because there's been a lot of times over the last few years where United have lost and it's it's been fair but 3-1 is is quite a comfortable win um, for a team at Old Trafford and not one that happens often and it was fully deserved for Palace. Um, we'll talk about the defence first. <laughs> it's a funny one because when we, when we previewed the season as a whole last week, um, I kind of defended the defence and Jack was more eager to point out the, uh, the the failings of it or its weaknesses at least. Um, and I think we kind of saw all of the defensive flaws on, on Saturday afternoon. It takes us back to the point we discussed last week that the defence performed very well last season statistically, but kind of the eye test, watching with your own eyes, there were definitely areas to be concerned about. Um, now, that, that was a terrible performance, but I'm still... Look, I, I don't think United's defence is good enough, and this is what we said last week. But again, there are there are these mitigating factors. A, that there was no pre-season, as we've just spoken about. But B, the midfield protection on Saturday, and this is something I really noticed with the first goal, actually, um, was far from good enough. McTominay wasn't good enough in that role, and I, I don't think it's his, his best role. I don't think he's the best player for that role. Matic is, and unfortunately Matic is... is going to be too old to play for the whole season. But if you take a look at the first goal that I just said, um, there was just, it, McTominay wasn't there, but also Bruno Fernandes was kind of caught on his heels um, and not tracking back. Luke Shaw looks like he's messed up at, at the back post, but he's really been trying to mark both the men at the back post and also on the edge of the area where there was someone else coming in who might have had an easy tap it. Um, in the end, he... By doing that, he he leaves both of them free, and 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 Palace score their first goal. So there's that's a mistake from Shaw, but it's because no midfielders come back. So it, it's not clearly black and white. Um, is, is all I'm trying to point out. 
on the other hand, it was a pretty miserable defensive performance. Yeah, I think what's so frustrating about it is just that it, it, it was exactly the same problems that we saw last season, which is, I guess, not entirely surprising given that we started the the same back four that we were playing last year. I guess, albeit with Fosu Mensa for some reason playing ahead of Wan-Bissaka. But, I mean, you know something's gone badly wrong in your defence when your, our best defender was probably Bruno Fernandes across the whole game he's, he's tracking back when we lost the ball was, was brilliant at times but that's not, not what you want from your star midfielder to be the one to have to mop up our sort of defensive weaknesses we just we never looked comfortable at the back from the very start and it's something we saw towards the end of last season too when if a team presses us high as Southampton did as Palace did at Selhurst Park last year as Sevilla did at times in the Europa League semi-final, if a team presses us high, we, we can't do anything. We couldn't get out against Palace when they pressed us and we just couldn't cope with them coming forward. And it's a really bad time for the, the rest of the season. And, and in some ways it's worse against this because you're right, Harry, that it isn't just the, the defence. It, it's the whole team. that It's the midfield, it's the forwards. You can see it in the way that we press as well. We're so unorganised. And in some ways, this is actually worse than a game like the FA Cup semi-final where it's all about individual mistakes because they're quite easy to maybe not solve, but you know, you kind of just the luck of the draw, you don't expect to get terrible individual mistakes every week. But when it's sort of systematic problems with the entire team, that's when it can be a problem. Yeah, I think the, the biggest worry for me is just the the lack of progression that we've seen in the partnership between Maguire and Lindelof. And just quite frankly, it doesn't look like the partnership works very well. They don't complement each other well in the way that they play. It's a it's a worrying sign because they've now played together for a year, albeit I know a very sort of truncated and strange year where it's been stop start at times. Yeah, but we we haven't we just haven't seen any progress made from them, and I I don't know how much longer you can keep persisting with a centre back partnership that clearly isn't working. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and it's a. It's a tricky one because th- there are players at United that you think could partner either Lindelof or Maguire and be better. For example, Eric Bailly, for example, Axel Twanzebe, but both of them were injured last year. Um, yeah. Now, Twanzebe isn't someone who is notoriously injury prone in the same way that Bailly was. So you, you hope that this season he can avoid injury and, and he and Ted and Mengi can try and make an impact in the first team. And that's great. But the reality is unless Solskjaer is convinced that Ted Mengi is, is going to be a first-team United centre-back this season, then the club should have signed another centre-back because the, right. the current yeah. pairing isn't good enough. And Mengi's and a great talent. we spoke about this but, back in, I don't even know, it, it, I think it might have even been before lockdown maybe. We spoke about this with Twanzebi too, in that you want to be able to put some faith in Twanzebi because he does seem like a, a very, very good player. And when he's played alongside Maguire, they've looked good. He, we just haven't seen enough from him and he's been injured too much recently to put all your eggs in that basket, which means you yeah. then have to go out and you have to bring someone in who can do a better job alongside Maguire. You can't just rely on either a Maguire-Lindelof partnership that's been proven not to work yeah. or hope to rely on a young player in Twanzebe who could turn out to be you know, a great player. Yeah. We just haven't seen enough from him. Yeah. Um, I, I am excited to see Ted Mengi kind of integrated into that first team squad but it, yeah it's not someone you should be relying on um, the other thing about the defence was uh, two things um, there was a really high line from United even before we were chasing um, equalisers and, and, and goals to get back into the game and given that the weaknesses of Maguire and Lindelof are their pace and their one-on-one defending you did think that's an interesting 
tactic um kind of exposed their their weaknesses to their to their most um and the other thing was and this goes back to the point about the whole system not helping the defense was that united's play was so heavily on the left hand side that dan james who isn't obviously a great defender and Timothy Fossumento hasn't played a huge amount and is fine but not an incredible right back those two players were exposed as well because all United's play was on the left hand side which meant when Palace broke they could just take it over to United's right and have space to, to run in to play in and it was no surprise that that's where a couple of the goals came from, um, including, and there was another chance where I think it was either Zaha or Berrieze who was offside, but would have been one-on-one and it was on the right-hand side as well. Um, and it was just that the whole system was kind of just just wrong. Um, too high defensive line, too much on the left-hand side, which kind of made meant Pogba was worse as well. Uh, and, and that's disappointing because that's partly a, a managerial thing. Yeah, it's all well and good, us talking about the players and you know how they don't work and they aren't good enough which I think is very fair but and I think this has been a problem to be fair for the entire time Solskjaer's been manager defensively we just don't don't seem to have a very good structure and that does come from the coaching you know that has to be worked on in the training on the training ground and brought into games and it just doesn't seem like we've ever developed a real sort of system defensively we always think about systems in football being how do you attack but it also has to be in how you defend too and we, we cannot. I mean, we cannot be playing a high line with Maguire and Lindelof. It, it's it's just suicidal. Neither of them are particularly fast, especially Maguire, who really struggles. I mean, there was one point in the game yesterday where Zaha was uh, going down the, the right, and he was one on one with Maguire. And it, I mean, you can see Maguire is so so worried about him going past him because he just can't do anything for pace. So he spent he backs off sort of five yards away from him. And and I felt I almost feel a bit sorry for Maguire in, in some regards because I know at that point we were chasing the game, but he it, it, Maguire shouldn't be left exposed like that. There's, when when you are centre back like like that, it's, it's like the Manjevic is a kind of similar sort of type of centre back. Obviously Maguire is nowhere near as good, but Vidic was never very quick but he also was never left really exposed one-on-one against the player on the halfway line and if he ever was he had a very quick partner in Ferdinand there to cover for him which Maguire doesn't have um so yeah there's just a lot more work that needs to be done on this it's the same when we press to it every single game there are moments when one of the front three will go and press or maybe a Brie Bruno Fernandez and no one else goes with them and it it, it's just what kind of team are we? Are we a team that presses high and keeps a high line, which I don't necessarily think is the worst thing in the world. But if we are that team, we need to commit to it. Or are we a team that lets others have the ball until the halfway line and then commits to them? And at the moment we sort of don't do it either. And it, it's just yeah. not working. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't move on to the, to other things without mentioning the handball because it, it, it did anger me a lot. Uh, and it's, it was, it was kind of, I, I did sit there and, and every minute it seemed to get more ridiculous. And I was watching with, um, I, I wasn't reporting in the game, so I wasn't there. Uh, and I wasn't at the pub. I was watching with a probably seven or eight non-United fans, uh, at home. And, oh, it was excruciating. Uh, just firstly, the handball decision itself, farcical. Secondly, the, 
the retake was a, a, a joke. I'll, I'll let you take over because I, I can't really put into words the just the frustration because that, that that just sh- shouldn't be a part of football. It's just, to be fair, I've thought this about this new handball law for a long time. You cannot punish people for with a penalty for a handball that is not deliberate in my mind. It, it And this even goes back even, and we've, we've had decisions like this go our way, yeah. you know, even the thing about the most famous one would be Kimpembe against PSG. I didn't think that was a handball either. And, and in Maguire, uh, sorry, in Lindelof's case this time, I mean, his arm is moving because he's running. I know. Like, I mean, do we expect players to run with their hands by their sides? I, I honestly don't understand what the expectation is. If that's getting given as a penalty, yeah, yeah. the only way that I think you can penalize someone I, for for the ball hitting their hand in any way, which seems to basically be the point that we've got to now, is make make it punishable by an indirect free kick, not a penalty. Yeah, you cannot make that a game changing moment when the guy's running. And if you want to make it that any time it hits his hand, it's an indirect free kick, I can understand that because it does make, at least make the law easier to understand. You know, think about how many debates were about oh, he's in a hands in an unnatural position. Was it deliberate? Was it not? A couple of years ago, it does make it easier, but it's just ridiculous to me that you can have a game-changing moment because someone had a ball kicked at them from a yard away while they were running. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, and then the retake, I mean, to be honest, my, my cynical view of, of all of this and why the Premier League has decided to to clamp down on keepers not being on the line, it's, it's all about the entertainment value of the game. They, the, the thought, I think, is more goal or more sort of harshness on that equals more goals equals more entertainment equals more money in the eyes of the Premier League. I mean, I'd like to see them use the same energy and strictness in enforcing the encroachment law from attacking players. Because if you go back and watch, there's a quite questionable encroachment by one of the Palace players on the near side of the, the penalty area. And I don't think that should be enforced that strictly either, but it's just, I don't see how you can do one and not the other. I think VAR is... Is great, but the way it's used sometimes is just baffling, and it just seemed to get worse and worse every second that it went on. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the Premier League's got VR wrong on on lots of levels, but the goalkeepers' rule and the handball rule is a result of FIFA taking over control of VR. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I think I think the Premier League can be blamed for a lot of things, but these ones are actually. Probably, probably not their fault, um, and is is a result of FIFA being much less lenient um, yeah. than the Premier League were willing to be on on handballs. And yeah, the, the the idea of an indirect free kick for all handballs is it's a it's a possibility. Um, I do just think there has to be, unfortunately, there does have to be some subjectivity with it. Um, you you can't. It, it, it's a that's the job of the referee. Um, and, and yeah. they, they they have to make that decision anyway. Um, let's move on to another cheery topic. And I also of, just think, like, just to say, we don't normally talk about refereeing decisions that much on the podcast because I just don't think it's helpful. But I think it's it's like there's just so much crap on Twitter that you know anytime you mention a refereeing mistake, it's therefore making an excuse. I think it it is very possible to to both say we were unlucky in that game, but to be honest, P- Palace deserved to win three one regardless. Uh, so it didn't change the game, or or you know, I don't think that was the reason for us losing. It's just it's just so frustrating seeing, honestly, just on a bigger level than just United. It's just frustrating seeing a game that we all love and that is so entertaining be reduced to decisions like that. It's just so yeah. frustrating. Yeah. Um, right. Let's move on to talk about the uh, signings or lack thereof. Donny Van der Beek scored his first goal. Um, United's attack was pretty disappointing, apart from Van der Beek, really. Um, 
not really in the game at all. And Van der Beek took his goal very well. That was that was very pleasing. Um, can't really comment on his overall play yet. A uh, couple of nice kind of tries at moves with with Martial, but Martial was quiet. Rashford was quiet. Greenwood and James were both pretty poor. Um, but interesting from Luke Shaw. He came out after the game and basically said, "Yeah, we we need to sign some more players." And yeah, he's he's basically right. Look, that that result was not. Uh, the direct consequence of not signing players it was a bad performance but United need more players um, they need better squad depth but they also need better players in the starting level as well um, and and who do you blame for that well kind of the club yeah it, we, we've, we've stood still throughout the summer we've effectively stood still Shall we signed Van der Beek who I, I think is a good signing but he's probably not going to start most weeks and if you stand still at this level of football, then you're moving backwards because every other team has moved forwards. You know, every other team around us has made at least what look on, look like good signings, and we we just have gone nowhere. Um, and you're right; it, it doesn't excuse the performance because we saw just a month ago that this this team with this exact group of players can play better than it showed on on Saturday. But yeah, you you can't expect to go into a season with the exact same squad and and to have anything better. I think we yeah. saw the ceiling of this squad pretty much at the end of last season, and it, it's I think what it's just so the the worst part about it is that, again it, it it's so similar to what happened after the season we finished second under Mourinho. We talked a few weeks ago on the the season review and on the season preview podcast episodes saying that the one thing we cannot afford now is to do what we did after that season where we didn't fully back Mourinho, we didn't fully invest in the squad and then we went backwards. And unfortunately, unless something drastic changes in the next couple of weeks before the transfer window closes, it looks like we've done the exact same thing. Every time we seem to get a few grains of optimism, the club then go and ruin it because they don't invest properly in the squad or make stupid signings. I hope that I'm proven wrong, but I think it... it it's pretty rare, very, very rare, in fact, that you see a player in the first team squad publicly coming out and saying, we need more signings. Yeah. And it was it was a point that Gary Neville made during commentary, I think, is that if you were a United player, you would be looking around and thinking, well, where are new signings when Chelsea are bringing these new players in, when Liverpool are doing it, when City are doing it? Um and it's, Even Spurs now. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a confidence thing, it's a a competition thing, and it it matters for for fans, players, and coaching staff a lot. Um, we've spoken a lot about transfers. I don't think there's there's too much more to say other than you've just really got to hope that it happens. Um, something happens sometime soon. And it was it was actually there, I think Dimitar Berbatov and United We Stand as well was saying uh, what he hopes is that we don't now sign players for signing players sake and and that's very true we I, yeah look I, I i obviously want us to make more signings but do i want us to waste our money on two extra signings just to make sure we've signed three players this summer no not at all that would be a, a waste and it would be something that we we've, we've done too much over the last few years um we're going to move on to youth loan and women's roundup in just a second but no yeah. i i think you're right we don't want them to panic i think you hope that this result gives the board a kick up the backside, but doesn't make them panic. And there's, there's quite a fine line between the two. Yeah. In that, I, I don't think this should be making us, like you said, go out and be signing players just for the sake of it. I don't think it should be changing the targets really that much either because we've been linked mainly with Jaden Sancho, a right midfielder. We've been linked with a, a 
plethora of left backs, a few centre backs. It, that that shouldn't change. So it shouldn't it shouldn't be that you know you go and yeah. sign a high profile striker or something just to sort of placate the fans because that isn't what we need. It it shouldn't change our priorities. It hopefully should just give the board a bit more impetus in in doing all of this and maybe show them how desperately needed they all are. Yeah, what you hope is that Joel Glazer sits in his New York office and thinks maybe I will justify that extra five or ten million pounds for Jaden Sancho. That's basically what what you hope yeah. this result does. Let's move on to youth load and women's roundup. Right, Manchester United's under-18s return to league action on Saturday morning at the Cliff. Two brilliant goals from a summer rival, Joe Hugill from Sunderland, saw United lead Blackburn 2-0 and that was a, a well-deserved lead. Uh, Rovers got one back near the end and goalkeeper Radek Vitek made a couple of incredible saves uh, too in an, a nervy end for United. Noah Memran, the French striker, impressed and so did the captain for the day, Martin Svidersky. As I said earlier, Ted and Menke is being promoted full-time to the first team and his team, the under-23s, they lost 2-0 to Leicester City last week and now play Liverpool on Friday, uh, Friday the 25th, that is, at Lee Sports Village. In loan news, Dylan Levitt has joined Charlton Athletic on loan and was on the bench at the weekend. James Garner has signed for Watford. He too was on the bench on Saturday. Teeth Chong started for Werder Bremen and played an hour in a 4-1 defeat to Hertha Berlin. Matej Kovar, the goalkeeper, he started as well for Swindon Town and they lost 2-0 to Blackpool. No action for the women's team this week, but they return at the start of October with a home match against Brighton. Right, just before we carry on with the rest of the show, uh, a thank you to our sponsor for today, ExpressVPN. Uh, if you've ever used incognito mode while browsing, or if you've ever thought that internet privacy is important to you, then uh, listen up to this. Uh, ExpressVPN kind of fixes a, a problem for all of us. Uh, basically, your, your internet service provider, whether that's BT, Sky, Virgin Media, whoever, uh, they can see every site you've ever visited and they are legally obliged to keep a record of every site you've ever visited whether you use incognito mode that doesn't help if you clear your history that doesn't help whatever um and the solution is expressvpn expressvpn is an app that reroutes and encrypts your internet connection through their secure servers so that your internet provider can't see the sites that you visit um Jack and I have both used ExpressVPN before. This is coming from a, a product that we both like and use. Um, Jack, it's it's useful for many things. Um, I've used it mainly on my laptop while traveling abroad. But for you, uh, has it been on your on your phone or your laptop or, or what? Yeah, I've used it on both phone and laptop, and it's so useful. Even if you just want to do something like uh, find a new Netflix show in a different country. You can do that really easily. Uh, but I've used it while traveling, uh, even in, in China, I managed to get through uh, the Great Firewall there. So it, it, <laughs> it's a really powerful, uh, powerful VPN that I've really enjoyed using. Uh, and yeah, it works really well on both phone and laptops. And especially on my phone, it's, it's really handy to have yeah, around. It, it, it should always run seamlessly in the background, no lagging or buffering. Um, and, and it's very easy to use. You just tap one button and, and you're protected. Um, and it protects 100% of your data uh, with the, the best in-class encryption, I'm told. And it's, it's rated the number one we're not, we're not just advertising anything it's rated number one by Wired uh, CNET um, many many um, very prestigious websites uh, also support the, the quality of ExpressVPN and it's available as we say on, on phones computers whatever um, so go to expressvpn.com slash Manchester and you can get an extra three months free on a one year package that's expressvpn.com slash Manchester 
expressvpn.com slash Manchester to get three months three on your one year package. Right, let's move on with the show, Jack. Um, we're going to preview our next two matches. The first is against uh, Luton Town away from home, 8.15pm kickoff on Tuesday evening. Bit of a weird game, this one. Um, it's strange because if, we probably would have looked this looked at this a week ago and thought, let's just throw the reserves in and try and get through. Uh, now, it's an interesting chance maybe to help with the fitness of the first team. Yeah, it's a weird, it's kind of a weird situation we're in. It might come down to like a player by player decision because I think some players benefit from having the extra minutes in their legs and getting them sort of up to speed with others. It might be that they they genuinely are sort of still exhausted from uh, last season and maybe need a bit more of sort of a rest and easing into yeah. the season. So it'll probably come down to a player by player decision. I would still expect us to rotate pretty heavily, but yeah, I probably not um probably not an entire team of reserves as we otherwise might have done. Yeah. It would be good to see uh, I've mentioned Ted and Menke many times now, but it'd be good to see him him yeah. start on the other hand. I think it I think it's the kind of game where maybe you want your attackers to start so they can get a goal and get into their rhythm, but you probably want to give Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof a rest and and maybe see Ted and Menke and Whichever other centre back is, get them out of the fit. firing line. Yeah, yeah, partly that, and uh, maybe it, it might be a good chance to get Aaron Bissaka up to fitness. There's, there's a few different options. It's quite hard to predict. We just got to hope that United get through, basically. Yeah, I absolutely um, hate these games. There's, I mean, there's, there's, there's <laughs> yeah. just nothing to gain from a game against Luton away, especially. Yeah, I mean, it makes the it a little bit easier with no fans, but they're, they're just such a a banana skin that you play well and it's only Luton and yeah. you draw or lose and it's mortifying. Yeah. The only good one I can think of in recent years is Tranmere earlier this year, the 6-0. Yeah. Uh, apart from that, all unenjoyable. Uh, and to be fair, Derby um, this year away in the FA Cup as well. Um, yeah, it wasn't too bad. That, that was a good one as well. Um, but yeah, generally unenjoyable. Maybe this one will will be slightly different. But Saturday, uh, early lunchtime kickoff, 12.30 on BT Sport, at Brighton away. A tough one. Yeah, this is... I've, I mean, we shouldn't be saying this, should we? But I'm not expecting much. And we also say, we also, every single time we play Brighton, we have to mention how bad our yeah, record is yeah. against them. Especially at the Amex, since they got promoted. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they, they they play some good stuff under uh, Graham Potter now. I, I like them a lot. I think they're a good side, but you're <laughs> right. It shouldn't be, we shouldn't be stressed about a game with Brighton, but we really yeah, are. It's a, yeah, it's a sad truth, isn't it? Um, it's, it's a strange, it's it's hard to kind of preview these games at the moment because we don't know whether, for example, Matic, Wambasaka will be fit. Uh, we don't know whether Greenwood is going to start or, or Dan James. We don't know who I mean someone could test positive for coronavirus and suddenly you're looking at a very different team yeah um, so there's there's all of these it, it's kind of a weird one in a couple of weeks it'll start to become easier when all the players are back when we know who's in the starting eleven, etc it could be could be an interesting one for, for Donny van der Beek to start yeah definitely I, I I mean why not I think he earned it you know we we didn't exactly do much through midfield against uh, against Palace I, I thought yeah. You know, he didn't do a lot when he came on, but I thought he was neat and tidy in possession. Why not start him? I think he's he's deserved it. I could honestly see eventually, I don't know whether it'd be this soon, but I could eventually see us starting with either Van der Beek or Fernandez sort of on uh, nominally on the on the team sheet on the right wing and going sort of without either James or Greenwood um, as our starting lineup to get Fernandez, Pogba and Van der Beek in the team with still one of Matic or McTominay at the base of midfield. So we'll see if that ends up happening. I doubt against Brighton, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see Van der Beek getting a start. 
Yeah, it just seems like they kind of, I mean, maybe I'm basing this off the, the poor Palace performance, but it seems like the kind of game where we could do with a player to to get Rashford and Martial into the game um, because yeah. they were very quiet against Palace. Uh, prediction for, for And from the Saturday. very limited highlights I saw of the friendly with Villa, that sort of seems to be Van der Beek's MO is sort of, yeah, you know, yeah. keeping the ball neat and tidy in and around sort of congested uh, areas around the edge of the box. Yeah, that that's what we needed against Palace, wasn't it? It was a, a an edge of the box player or even an in the box player. Yeah. And, and that's what I think Van der Beek has been bought for. Um, your prediction? I, <laughs> I mean, I, well, I think I predicted a draw against Palace. I was even too optimistic for that one. Um, I'm going to have to go with the draw again. I, I don't, I don't see us doing that well against Brighton. I'll go with a, uh, one one draw. Yeah, I I think one one's a, a fair fair scoreline to predict. I was going to go for the same. Um, right, we're going to wrap things up uh, for series six, episode two of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you are a patron, don't worry, your show will continue, and you'll get your exclusive patron uh, Q and A at the end of the show. We've got a few interesting questions to answer, sent in by patrons, answered for patrons exclusively um, on the website. You can sign up yourself and you'll be able to hear that Q&A immediately as soon as you sign up and all of the backlog of episodes that you may want to tune into uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash manutd weekly pod or just go to my twitter probably Harry Robinson 64 and I'll tweet a link to it and you can sign up from there and it's, it's probably easier um, but if you want more from Jack throughout the week uh, go to his twitter which is at at UTD Tate T-A-I-T and you can find the podcast Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there thank you very much for listening have a great week um, hope we've managed to, to cheer the United mood up ever so slightly goodbye Network.